together. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, open with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. This morning, I'm going to be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. So give you a second to get there. If you don't have a Bible, there's a couple on this table back here. Uh, please feel free to grab one. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. So take that. If you don't own one, it's yours to keep. That's our gift to you. So <clears throat> Ephesians 6, starting at verse 1, I'm going to read this and I'll pray for our time. Ask God to work through the reading and teaching of his word. Ephesians 6, starting at verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you are glorious. God, you are great and mighty. There are none like you, none beside you. You are God alone, and you are worthy of all the praise. Father, I confess that I am a sinful man who is fallible, who is limited. And Lord, I can do nothing apart from you. So Father, I ask that your spirit would be at work in this place this morning, in and through me, through the teaching and preaching of your word, to help us clearly see our call to live for your glory. And Lord, as I speak, I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase. Help us to have a proper understanding of you first, and then to be able to see our roles, what you call us to do as men and women, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, and even as children, how to respond accordingly. Lord, would you be glorified in this time? And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the last few weeks, if you've been with us, we've been in a study on God's design for the family. And we've covered several different topics. We began by looking at God's design for marriage. Uh, then the next week we talked about God's design for husbands. What are husbands called to do in the confines of marriage and the family? And then last week, Pastor Tyler talked to us a little bit about wives and their role, their call. What does it look like to be a godly wife within the family? You know, as we've taken time to have this study, as we've looked at God's word and what it has to say, it has given us a biblical framework. It has helped us to understand God's design for the family. So if you think about the family, I saw a picture recently and I thought it was really helpful. You could think about it like several umbrellas, right? Like the largest umbrella at the top is Christ because Christ is head overall. Amen? Right? Then the next umbrella down would be fathers or husbands as they have a responsibility to lead and shepherd, to provide and protect for their family, right? Then you go down one other level, a little bit smaller umbrella would be wives or mothers as they have a calling in the home to nurture and to teach their children. Then at the bottom, the smallest umbrella is children, right? Unfortunately, children, I'm sorry, you're at the bottom. You have no one under your authority. That's an unfortunate reality, but a reality nonetheless. Your arms are too short to box with God. If you don't like that, take that up with him. And we're going to talk about that more in just a minute. What is a child's role within the family if they don't have any authority? If there's no one under the care of these children, what are they called to do within the family? We'll talk about that more in just a minute. 
But what I want to do as we begin our conversation this morning, as we have this time together, what I want to do first is talk to the parents in the room. What does God say to us about raising children? I want us to have an appropriate context to understand rightly what it looks like to be godly men and women who are able to shepherd and invest in the lives of our children. So as we begin this conversation, I think it's only right that we start at the beginning. I know I had you open to Ephesians chapter 6, but if you would, you can keep your finger there. But let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. Let's start there just for a moment. And I want to look at Genesis 1, verses 27 and 28. See, the book of Genesis gives us our origin, right? It is the birth of creation, the origin of all of humanity, and how all of this has been brought to be by God's sovereign and almighty hand. So what we have in Genesis 1, God creates the man, and then God creates the woman, and immediately he gives them a command. Let's see what God says to them. Genesis 1, verse 27, says, So he created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And we'll just stop right there for the time being. So what happens? Again, God creates the man and woman. He brings into creation humanity. And then he immediately gives them instruction on how to fulfill his divine purposes for creation. And so God says to them, he says, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, he says to them, go produce children, produce offspring, populate and fill the earth. You see, part of God's design and God's desire for marriage and for his people is procreation. It's bearing offspring. See, this is a great blessing that God has graciously and uh, given and gifted to us as human beings. See, there's, a there's something really beautiful about birthing and having children. You see, this text teaches us that reproduction is something that God has commanded to his people. Now, it's important. I want to stop right here before I go any further. I want to say to all the couples in the room that may be battling with infertility, that may not be able to conceive children, I want to say that my heart goes out to you. I want you to know that we see you, we love you, but most importantly, God sees you and God loves you. You see, one of the things the scriptures so consistently teach us is that God's love is not tied to our circumstances. God loves us faithfully, and eternally. Psalm 136, I just want to read a quick portion of this. I believe we've read this in our call to worship before here, but Psalm 136 says this. It says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of all gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. Over and over and over again through this psalm, we get the repetition of that phrase, his steadfast love endures forever. Listen, to the couples in here who are battling, who are carrying that burden, not being able to produce, I know that's hard to believe sometimes. 
I know you have this good, God-given desire. It can be very discouraging for you sometimes because you have this thing that you're praying for, this good desire God's given you, and it just feels like God isn't hearing you and he's not giving you this desire that you have. I want to encourage you, if that's you in here this morning, again, God loves you. And I want to remind you to continue seeking God, to continue pleading with him, to let him know the desires of your heart. You see, the scriptures are filled with stories of women with barren wombs. I think about Hannah in the book of Samuel and how she prayed and pleaded with God. And God eventually gave her the ability to conceive, and she gives birth to Samuel, who become this great and wonderful prophet of God. I even think about Sarah, right, Abraham's wife, how she was, her womb was barren for years, and then God gives them Isaac, the son of the promise, right? I even think about Jacob's wife, Rachel, and how for years she couldn't birth children, and then God blesses her and opens her womb, and then she gives birth to Joseph. And if you read through the book of Genesis, you know why Joseph is such a significant character in God's story. Listen, to those of you in here this morning that are fighting that battle, who are dealing with the trial of infertility, I want to encourage you to never stop trying, never stop praying, and most importantly, never stop trusting in the loving providence of God. It may be that God has ordained for you to have children eventually, but just not in your timing according to his timing. But it's important to remember, too, even if God doesn't bless you with biological children of your own, don't ever doubt his love for you. I pray, as we just sang in the song, that your soul is satisfied in him alone that you still believe that he is a good and gracious God. Maybe you question that. I, I get it. It's something you want desperately, that God's given you that good desire. And if he hasn't blessed you to have children yet, I understand why you would be so discouraged. And maybe you question God's love for you. I understand why people would feel that way. But if you ever question God's love, I think... Romans 5, 8 is so helpful here. It tells us that God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ has died for us. What a beautiful and comforting reality that is. If you're here this morning and you're questioning God's love, look no further than the cross. God has shown his love for you. But as we continue to wrap our minds around this discussion, the question would next become then, Okay, let's say I can't have biological children of my own. How can I still be obedient to this command to be fruitful and multiply? The first thing I would say is to consider the options of fostering or adoption. Right? There are millions of children all over the world in the system who need good, loving, godly homes. Right? They fall victim to this system, and they're just shuffled from home to home, and they're never finding anywhere to plant their roots. And then they age out of the system, and they're no longer to be in foster care. They're not allowed to be in this foster system. They just dump them to the side. They marginalize and dismiss them because they age out. And it doesn't always work well. 
So I want to encourage you, if you're in here this morning, you have this desire for children, but God hasn't blessed you to be able to conceive, the option of adoption gives you an opportunity to still be obedient to God's command to be fruitful and multiply, but also to share the gospel, to make an impact with the gospel in the lives of some of these children. Listen, if God has given you this desire to invest in the lives of the next generation, one of the most beautiful ways that you can do that is through adoption. See, this is particularly impactful as we have to remember what adoption represents. Adoption is a beautiful picture of the gospel. Is that not what God has done for us? Not just taking us as strangers, as children that weren't biologically his, but we were enemies of God. He wipes that away. He makes us his children, right? John 1 tells us that uh, he gives us the right to be children of God through Christ Jesus. Man, adoption is a beautiful, living, breathing demonstration of the gospel message. So if you're in here this morning and you're struggling with infertility, God hasn't blessed you to conceive yet. It, It may come, it may not. Consider adoption. Second, if you're in here and to the singles in the room particularly. Maybe you're in a season of life and it's like, I, I'm single, I'm not married, I don't know if I ever will, I don't, I don't know what God's got for me, I don't know if adoption is the right thing for me to do right now. Then you have other opportunities that you can help to fulfill this command, right? You have nieces and nephews in your life that you're able to invest in. Maybe they're the children in your church, right? Your church body, you're able to invest in their lives. Maybe you coach. Maybe it's some sort of activity or organization in your community that allows you to invest in the next generation. Maybe God has you in the season that you're in for a particular reason that you wouldn't have the opportunities that you now have otherwise. Think about it. That's my encouragement to you. How can I still be obedient to this command even where I am right now? Now, briefly, I want to say something to the individuals who might be in this room that are on the other side of this discussion, to the Christian couples in the room who may say, I don't want children. You know, I've talked to believers before, and I I believe they're good, godly men and women, and I've had this conversation where they say, yeah, we're married, we love each other, we love the Lord, but man, we, we just don't want kids. We just don't want any children. Now, again, that's what does the text say, Right? Now, I'm not going to say that you're necessarily in sin if you don't have children, if you're married and you're a believer and you choose not. I'm not necessarily going to say that, but I can only work with what I've got. Amen? What does the text say? We'll just leave that right there. If you believe God and you believe his word, why wouldn't you be obedient to him in this area of your life as well? God's given you that ability. You know, I've heard people offer excuses. They say, oh, man, we just, we can't afford kids. They're so expensive. All right, that's one we hear often. Or another one, man, the world is just so messed up. I don't want to have any kids and bring them into this old ugly world. Or, man, you just don't understand our schedule, Pastor Brandon. Like, we work all the time, and we like to travel, and I just don't want any kids because it's going to throw a wrench. I just don't think we have time for that. We hear a lot of excuses, but I think it really boils down to a view of children that is fundamentally opposed to the word of God. Let's look at 
Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. This is what it says. It says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He will not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. See, I love this passage. I mean, what a beautiful way to think about children. So here's my question to those in the room who may be wrestling with this idea. Do you see children this way? As a blessing, as arrows in the hand of a warrior, do you see children as a blessing, as a gift? Are they simply burdensome? You view children as something that drain your bank account, your time, your freedom, that take your joy from you. If so, man, that's such a broken way to look at children. Children are a blessing to us. God has given them to us to not only bless us spiritually, but to enrich our lives as well. Not only that, but birthing children is necessary for the health of society. Listen, I don't want this to turn into an economics class. But I recently listened to a podcast that talked about the declining birth rates, that over the last couple of decades, that number has gone down significantly. People that have the ability to birth children are just choosing not to. Listen, again, I don't want this to turn into a classroom lecture, but that significantly impacts the economy, right? You got less people paying into that retirement. Guess what? When it gets time to retire because there's less people, ain't going to be nothing there for you. Now some of you got, I got some of your attention now, right? It definitely affects the economy, right? God has given us this design for a purpose. Children are a good thing. So if you're in here this morning and you're a believer and you've just settled in your mind and you say, look, we just don't want children, I would strongly encourage you to reconsider that thought based upon God's word. I would challenge you to order your life according to what God has said. And to the parents in the room, I want to challenge you on your view of your children. Do you see them as burdens or blessings? Like if your children are just burdens to you, you will inevitably, that will inevitably manifest itself in the way that you raise them. If they're just a frustration to you. If that's how you feel about them, you're going to be easily aggravated. You'll consistently lose your patience because your heart isn't committed to discipling them. If your heart isn't committed to leading your children and loving them accordingly, that's going to show in how you raise them. As Dean said, a lot of us are so solely focused on the ways that our children are infringing upon our ability to build our own kingdom. And at the end of the day, that's really what it's about. Whose kingdom? Is it mine? Or is it his? What's my priority? What am I pursuing? Now, again, we have to ask ourselves, what is our motivation for raising our children? Do we see them as arrows in the hands of a marksman? You know, I particularly love that analogy. I had the ability this week, the opportunity, a couple brothers in our church to go and do some, some bow shooting. I'd never done that before, so it was an awesome opportunity. And so I was the only one out of the whole group. I actually missed the target completely one time. 
and it went into a pile of a wood pile that was behind it and destroyed the arrow. You know why particularly? Yeah, it's funny. You can laugh. I was terrible. <clears throat> I'd never done that before. I'd never shot a, a bow and arrow before. But the thing is, when you think about this analogy of arrows in the hands of a marksman, look, I would have been a fool to get frustrated at the arrow. I would have been just out of my mind to yell at the arrow and blame the arrow for missing the target. That's on me. You know, so when we consider this analogy as parents, we have to take some responsibility here. Amen? You know, I've heard parents make statements when they talk about their children, and they say things like, man, I'm so tired of dealing with these kids. Or they get off work, and they're headed home, and like, man, I got to go home and deal with these kids again. Man, I can't wait to get a break from these kids. They're killing me. Listen, I'll be the first to say I've been guilty of this too. To anyone in my church, if you may have ever heard me speak neg negatively about my children or just like I'm so overwhelmed, man, I want to repent from that right now. And I apologize. We should never talk about our children that way. Listen, I get it. Parenting is hard. It is difficult. And we do need a break sometimes, right? But if it's God's word that informs the way that you view children, it should never be I have to. It should be I get to especially when there are people all over the world that don't get that opportunity. See, that's the difference, again, between seeing your children as burdens or blessings. And if you would, let's go back to Ephesians 6, and we'll talk about this a little bit more. See, our text in Ephesians 6, I'm actually going to work backwards here. Rather than working through verses 1 through 3 first, I'm going to start at verse 4 here because I want to talk to parents. See, verse 4 says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So Paul has taken some time to speak to husbands and wives, but now here he has something to say to parents. So the word that's used there for fathers has, is used elsewhere uh, for parents in the plural. So though it says fathers, this kind of talks to parents as well. So I'm just going to use that as our reference point this morning. So Paul's spoken to fathers or husbands and wives. He's now speaking to parents on how they are to lead their children. And you see, it's pretty clear from this passage that our parenting shouldn't be the kind that provokes our children. Our parenting shouldn't lead our children to resent us or to despise us or worse, resent and despise the Lord. Now, here's a great place for us to stop and make this personal. How often would you say your parenting is like that? You know, if you were to take an honest inventory of the way that you lead and instruct your children, are you leading them in a way that gently teaches, instructs, and disciples your children? Are you constantly aggravated with them? Are you harsh with your words? Have you loaded them up with unrealistic expectations where you're demanding perfection from your children? Again, I'm just going to be 100% honest with you. I've had to confront this reality in my own life. There have been times where I've engaged with my own children and I'm seeking to address them about something. And maybe it's something they need to be addressed about. And then I'll look back on that encounter and the way that I interacted with them and I'll 
recall my tone of voice and my attitude, and I'm just devastated because I know it didn't show them the gospel. I know that it wasn't done in a godly fashion. I know that I'd failed them. Just another application to the parents in the room. This is where we must model repentance for our children. We must be quick to repent. It's necessary for our children to see that. And I found myself failing on many occasions as a father, and I've had to really stop and ask myself, what do I want my kids to take from this encounter? Again, if I'm engaging with them, I'm correcting them about something, disciplining them about something, I have to ask myself, what do I want them to take away from this encounter? Do I want them to just remember, man, dad was always really mad when we didn't do everything exactly right. Dad was always so grumpy whenever we made mistakes. We could never do anything, never do enough to please him. I don't want my kids to remember that about me. I want my kids to remember the gracious way in which I lovingly engaged with them despite their mistakes, discipling them and correcting them lovingly as God so often does to us. Again, you have to ask yourself, in those moments where you have the opportunity to discipline and correct your children, do you see those as opportunities for discipleship? You see those as an opportunity to sharpen those arrows. Are those just inconveniences? See, again, we must model the gospel in our parenting. This is so essential. See, again, if we look at the text here in Ephesians 6, Paul warns against provoking our children to anger. You see, if you have to recall who he's writing to in that time, in that culture, yes, men had this authority over their family, God-given authority as they should, but a lot of men were abusing that. And quite frankly, it's not really a lot different in 2023. There are men who abuse their authority greatly in their family. See, we aren't to lead in a tyrannical fashion. We aren't called to dominate our families. We cannot teach or instruct them from a place of anger and frustration, placing unreasonable demands on our children. See, that leads them to anger. That's only going to discourage them. That's only going to lead them to resent you as a parent. That's not how we lead our children. So if we can't lead them that way, then how should we raise them? Well, praise God, his word gives us an answer here. Paul writes here, he says, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. You see, this is a call, this is a challenge to every Christian household, to every believer in the room who's been blessed with the gift of children. How should you raise your children? According to God's word. That must be what guides and governs our lives, our marriages, our parenting. It has to be the word of God. It must be the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So let's kind of look at that a little bit, both of those phrases, the discipline and the instruction. Let's look at that briefly. First, we must discipline our children. Now, I want to be clear here. When the text tells us to discipline our children, that's not a request or a suggestion. Brothers and sisters, you are supposed to discipline your children. Now, how you do that in your home, that's between you and your wives, right? That's between spouses. That's how you guys determine that. Now, the Bible does give us, give us a few texts 
that speak about discipline, I'll let you look those up and you make that determination yourself. But you and your wife, husbands, wives, right, you must be in agreement on that. How are we going to discipline our children? That's something you need to talk about up front. Listen, when I do marriage counseling, premarital for the marriages that I've done, that's one of the things we always talk about. How are we going to discipline? You need to make sure you're on the same page about that. But the thing we need to understand is discipline is commanded. I want you to understand this too, children. Listen up. Discipline is a good and glorious thing. Amen? Not going to get any amens from the children on that one, huh? Okay. It is actually a good and glorious thing. In fact, listen, discipline is loving. It's not oppressive. You see, God has given us this example through his word. If your parents love you, they're going to discipline you. That's what they're supposed to do. You see, Hebrews 12, 6 tells us that the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. And God set the example for us. Discipline is supposed to be part of our parenting. It's what good, godly parents do. See, if you even recall in the story of uh, Israel in the Old Testament, see, God had chosen them, and he's delivered them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and then they rebel against him, and they're wandering through the wilderness. And then even when they do make it to the promised land, some of them aren't uh, granted the, the gift of being able to go in. And then they're conquered, and they're taken into exile, right, into captivity. And that's part of God's discipline for their constant rebellion. You see, God's discipline is, that's his loving correction. And it's meant to lead them to repentance, to turn them back to their loving heavenly father. That discipline was for their good. Discipline's a good thing, children. Parents, disciplining your children is a good thing. It's for the well-being of your child. And children, it's for your well-being. You may not see it that way now, but hopefully, by God's grace, you'll look back one day and see that your parents disciplined you, and you'll see the benefit of that. You may not get it now, but hopefully you will. Listen, just another word to the parents. Look, I know life sometimes gets chaotic, right? And it can be overwhelming at times. There are just things that are draining your energy, that are just taking your time. But I want to challenge you and encourage you on this particular point. You must be consistent in disciplining your children. Don't be lazy or apathetic here, right? Like, don't say, ah, oh, but I'm just tired. Like, whatever. They can just do whatever. I ain't going to worry about it. I'm just, I'm overwhelmed. Had a long day at the office. Nah, it's fine. Just let it go. I'm not saying that. I want to encourage you to be consistent in that. That can be difficult because you do have to find a balance, right? You don't want to beat them down for every single thing that they do, right? There is grace, but you just meet, must be consistent in disciplining your children. There's so much value in the lessons learned from that discipline. And again, even consider the word discipline. The word disciple comes from the word discipline. You're teaching your children something. This is an opportunity to teach them when you lovingly discipline them. Again, emphasis on the word lovingly. Again, I want to speak to all the parents in here, but especially to the fathers, as this mostly falls under your authority. As fathers, you're going to be the one probably doing the majority of disciplining in your home as the head of your wife and the head in your home. This falls under your care. Again, I want to encourage you, don't be heavy-handed here. Don't discipline out of anger or compulsion. 
right? It can't be just an emotional response where you're mad and now you discipline your children. Make sure it's loving and corrective. And here's why. Because if it's not, your children aren't going to take anything from that except fear. They're just going to learn to be scared of you. That's all. Your children aren't going to respect you. They're not going to even understand what you're trying to accomplish. They're just going to be terrified of you. Listen, that's not how we view God, I hope. I hope you don't just look at God and you're terrified of him. That's why you've given your life to Jesus and you want to follow Christ because you're just scared that he'll throw a lightning bolt at you if you don't. It's not a good picture of godly, gracious, loving parenting. We don't respond to God out of fear. So fathers, I don't want you to lead and discipline your children just so they're scared of you and they'll do everything you tell them. So listen, even in your discipline, take opportunities to let your children know that you love them. Let them know that you delight in them even as you're disciplining and correcting them. It must be done in a godly fashion. It must be a regular practice in our homes. Not only discipline, but then Paul says here, the instruction of the Lord. See, again, this is going back to the foundation, what must be fundamental in every Christian household, and that is the word of God must be the ground that we stand on. It must be what leads us. It must be what we consistently teach our children. It must be God's commands. And I think about the text from Deuteronomy 6. See, where God sends Moses to the people once again, and he's giving them God's commands, the Ten Commandments, yet again. And then it says this in Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7. And it says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. See, friends, that's the expectation for God's people that we would diligently teach our children in the ways of the Lord. Listen, parents, that's your job, to teach your children the word of God. It's not the church's job. It's not the school's job. It's not the job of your community. Parents, that's your job. That's why it's so important to have that time that you're devoting to the word daily with your children, with your family. Fathers, I hope you're leading your family accordingly daily in that time in the word, that family worship time. If you're not doing that, I encourage you to do so, right? To make it a regular practice to teach your family the commands of God. See, again, this is how you sharpen those arrows against the grindstone of God's word. Right, Proverbs 22.6 gives us benefit for this. It says that you train a child up in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart. So there is some fruitfulness in consistently teaching the Word of God to our children, that they're going to remember that, that that's going to stick with them, that they won't depart from it. And we want to emphasize and make sure our children have a faith of their own, You know, too many times, especially now, we see that children, once they leave the home as they graduate from high school, and a lot of them often go off to college, they just stop attending church. They've never made their faith their own. And so sometimes it's because they're coming from homes where they've never been taught that. They've never been discipled. I don't want that to be any of us in here. 
want us to steward well, to shepherd well the children God has graciously given to us. You know, I wish I could take credit for this example, but I can't. I had a gentleman, someone I was talking to recently, and they pointed this out to me. I'd never thought about this before, but it's a great place to apply here. But one of the best ways we see this principle, this reality of remaining in, in, in God and his word play out is in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you recall, they were taken into captivity, taken away at a very young age. The Bible says they were youth. They were young. And so now they're in this foreign country, and there are these other gods and these other influences surrounding them. And so they have a decision to make. We can bow to this statue, this idol, and submit to the authority of Nebuchadnezzar, or we can stand for the one true God of Israel. And if you know the story, you know they refuse to bow and they're thrown into the furnace, but God delivers them. So what we have to remember is that those young men had been raised up in a family where they knew who God was and they were committed to him. Those are the kind of children we want to raise, amen? That go into the world as ambassadors for Christ, that despite the social and cultural pressures that come, despite people trying to reason with them against their faith, that they remain rooted and grounded in the gospel and the truth of God's word. Those are the kind of children we want to raise. Brothers and sisters, that's why God's given us the responsibility to lead our children. That we would teach them to commit themselves to Christ. We must raise them to go into the world for his glory. So there's a lot that I could say, uh, or continue to say about this subject. There's a lot more I could say to parents, but I want to look at what Paul writes here as he says to children. Obviously, parents have an authority. Parents have a responsibility. Guess what? Children have a responsibility as well. So children, listen up. Parents, you can relax a little bit, right? Now it's to the children. What are we going to say to children? Well, let's begin here because children do indeed have a responsibility. So just as husbands and wives have a responsibility to, to do particular things to make their marriage work, parents and children have the same. They each have a responsibility. Parents are to discipline and lead. Children, what's your responsibility? My kids know this because we have a saying in our house. What's your job? Go ahead and say it. What's your job? Obey. See, she's scared to say it, but she knows it. <laughs> your job is to obey, children right? The word of God has something to say to you. Let's look at Ephesians 6 verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. The first uh, priority for a child in his home is to obey his parents. And God has designed the family specifically for this reason, that fathers and husbands lead, mothers and wives lead, children, you are to obey. Now I want you to notice what it doesn't say here. It doesn't say obey your parents whenever you feel like it. It doesn't say obey your parents whenever you agree with what they say. It doesn't say obey your parents whenever it's convenient for you. It doesn't say obey your parents when you like what they tell you. That's not what it says. It just says obey your parents, period, end of discussion. See, this is important, children. This is what God is calling you to do under your parents' authority in their household, is to obey them. Here's a great conversation, just an easy way to apply. One of the best ways you can do that, children, is respect your parents' no. Amen, somebody. When your parents say no, please respect that. 
Be obedient to that, right? Respect your father and mothers. No, trust that they have a good reason for saying no to you. Believe that your parents have in mind what's best for you and your family. You know, they may have said no to you to something because it's just something they're not able to do at the time. Or it may be something that doesn't fit the, the mission of your family to live for the glory of God. It just doesn't fit into what you're trying to do right now. Children, please respect that. In every home, there are rules, there are requirements, there are standards. Children, you must be obedient to that. Respect those rules. Do the things your parents ask you to do, even when you don't agree with them or understand. I feel like I say this a lot to my children, because they're always like, why? What do children all ask? Why, right? Why? Why? Great question, why? Just do it because I asked you to do it. We could talk about why later. You may not understand, you may not agree, but just do it because I'm asking you to do it. And as your father, God has given me that role and that authority, so you just need to do what I ask you to do, right? Children, that's God's design, that you would willingly, I want to say that again, that you would willingly obey your parents because they are the authority that God has placed in your life, right? Obedience isn't something that I just demand of my children simply for my own ease or convenience. God has ordained it to be this way. Listen, again, it's just we can learn from disciplined children. There's a lot you can learn from the exercise of obedience. See, obedience is it's formative. It's impactful. It's a benefit to you, especially when you're being led by parents who submit to the word of God. You see, we saw that even Jesus was obedient. Right in Luke chapter 2, after Jesus, they couldn't find him, and they go back to Jerusalem, and he's in the temple, and then he goes home with his parents, and it says that he submitted himself and was obedient to them going forward. Right? We know that Jesus was perfection because he's the son of God, so of course he never sinned. There was no transgression in his life. So of course he's obedient to Mary and Joseph. We also see that Jesus was obedient to the will of the Father because he took to the cross, despising the shame. Right? He was totally obedient to the will of God the Father. Even Philippians 2 tells us he was obedient to the point of death. So children, Jesus, the Savior of the world, can be obedient to his heavenly Father, his earthly parents. Whew. What does that mean for you? We're to follow his example, right? Follow the example that Jesus Christ has set for us. You know, again, as we talk about this idea of uh, willful obedience, like it doesn't, obedience isn't the same if you're doing it with a poor attitude, right? That's another conversation I feel like we have a lot. Like it's one thing to just go do what your parents tell you. It's another thing to do it with a terrible attitude, right? Like you're huffing and puffing and you're stomping your feet like I'm going to do it, but I don't really want to. Man, to the parents in the room as well, like I think we can all apply this. I hope none of us obey God that way, right? hope none of us obey God in that manner, right? We should joyfully submit and be obedient children to our parents, especially if you're under good godly leadership. This should be a blessing to you. So let's go back again to the text here in Ephesians 6. Paul says, children, obey. But then he reminds them again. He says, to honor your parents as well. Let's look at 
verse 2 again, he says, honor your father and mother. Now, we'll just stop there for a second. This, of course, comes from the fifth commandment, which says to honor your father and mother, right? We all know that command, right? And God says, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. Now, this is a significant command, and I'll tell you why. Because God only gives his people ten commandments. He only gives them ten. And one of them is to remind children to honor their parents. That lets you know how significant this is, that God obviously takes this command very seriously. In fact, in the New Testament, Jesus quotes this command on a couple of occasions, and he says this, for Moses said, honor your father and mother. And then he says this, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. Wow. That lets you know how seriously God takes this commandment. That it was worthy of death if you reviled your parents, if you didn't honor them. So then the question becomes, okay, I think I understand this conversation around obedience. Now, what does it look like to actually honor my parents? Well, there are several ways you can show honor to your parents. Number one, how do you respect them? Do you treat your parents with respect in the way that you speak to them? Right, I man, I've been out some places in grocery stores or restaurants, and I've heard kids talk to their parents, and I'm like, good grief. I would have been a headstone. <laughs> Look, my mama's sitting right there. I'm still scared. <laughs> like, I wouldn't have made it here to be preaching to y'all if I talked to her like that. Like, how do you speak to your parents, your tone when addressing them, children? Is it respectful? Is it appropriate? Do you show them the courtesy and the dignity that they're worthy of as those who have brought you into this world and care for you? Do you look for ways to serve them honorably? I mean, even the simplest, smallest ways, doing your chores, managing your responsibilities at home, even helping them to maybe accomplish some of the things they're trying to do. These are ways that you can show honor to your parents. Do you love your parents? Do you show them gratitude for the ways that they provide for you? Ways that they sacrifice so you have the things that you need. You speak well of your parents when they're not around. Listen, this goes for adult children as well. See, even when our parents fail to exhibit the attributes associated with godly parenting, do you speak well of them? Do you talk about them with dignity and respect? And this goes for adult children. And speaking of adult children, let's consider those of us who are fortunate to still have our parents here in the land of the living. How can you be obedient to this command? As adult children who are no longer in your parents' household, how can you still honor this command to obey and honor your parents? Well, I think 1 Timothy 5 is helpful here. You know, aside from just showing them dignity and respect, 1 Timothy 5, I'm going to look at verses 3 through 8. You can turn there if you want. But I think this is helpful for uh, us to have an understanding of as being adult children. How can we go forward and honor our parents? And this is what Paul writes. He says, honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first uh, learn to show godliness to their own household to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. 
She who is truly a, a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Verse 7, command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So to the children in the room, if you want to know as an adult, how can I honor my parents even though I'm not under their roof? You can care for them. You can take care of them. There's going to come a time by God's grace that as your parents grow older and they're not able to do all of the things that they used to do, you'll have an opportunity to love and care for your parents, to shoulder that burden, that responsibility of meeting their needs. You see, in the text here in Timothy says that that's a way of showing godliness. It's really an exercise of mutual care. See, your parents raised you and taught you and provided for you all of those years, and now you have an opportunity, as Timothy says here, to make a return to your parents. See, caring for elderly parents is a responsibility that falls primarily to the children of those parents. It's not the responsibility of the state. It's not the responsibility of the community. It's not even the responsibility of the church. Let's look at 1 Timothy. If you drop down a little bit to verse 16, this is what Paul writes. He says, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. See, that's important. Paul says the church's job is to care for those who are truly widows. So, for example, a woman who has no family to care for her, then the church takes on that burden to care for and meet the needs of this woman. But if this woman has any relatives, any children, any grandchildren, that's their responsibility. That's how they show honor to their parents, by caring for them, by meeting their needs. See, God's word is clear on this. So children in the room, even uh, young children, think about it now. Y'all are going to have to take care of dad maybe one day. You're going to have to take care of mom one day. That's what God's word is calling us to. And to the adult children, to the grown children who aren't in their parents' household anymore. If you have elderly parents who are in need, man, that's your job to serve them. That's how you can show them honor. That's what God's calling us to do. He says, as we prepare to close our time, we looked at the God, uh, God's design for the family. We've talked about a lot of stuff the last several weeks. But I think what we need to take away is that we all have a part to play in fulfilling God's design for the family, husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, children. God's calling us to do something. But as we talk about this specific conversation, listen, parents are to lead, to teach, to discipline their children according to the instruction of the Lord. And children, you've been given the task to obey and honor your parents. Even if that looks like caring for them in the final season of life, returning to them the investment that they've made in you over the years. See, what we can learn from this entire study is that God does indeed have a design for his creation. The unfortunate reality is that sin has scarred that design. That though God has purposes, divine purposes for all of us, as men and women, as children, whatever role we're in, we've all sinned and we've broken that design. 
And so that's why we're all in need of this great Savior that is Jesus Christ. See, one of the beautiful things about the family is that's where this call to make disciples, to invest, to build, to instruct, to teach the gospel, it must begin in our homes. Right? When Jesus gives the great commission, he says, go and make disciples, man, that's got to start in the four walls of your house. Parents, are you making disciples out of your children? Children, are you joyfully submitting to their instruction? Do you see the commands of God's word as life-giving, as beautiful? Do you understand your need for this Savior that is Jesus Christ? See, the family is important for a lot of reasons. See, strong, godly families lead to strong churches. Strong churches lead to strong communities, and strong communities lead to strong cities, and strong cities, strong states, and so on and so forth. But you see where it begins in the home with us making disciples of our children, with us being people who are committed to God's word. That's where it starts. So my hope and my prayer is that we wouldn't just leave the things we've discussed over the last few weeks on the shelf. We would really begin to apply them in our own lives that we would be a church that is marked by strong families, by godly husbands and fathers, by godly men that want to live for God's glory, by women that joyfully submit to the godly leadership of their husbands and nurture and teach their children. And we would have children in this church that love their parents, that honor them, that love God's word, want to go into the world as ambassadors for Christ, for his glory. Would that be the kind of church that we are? We honor Christ Jesus, and that begins in our homes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, you are so incredibly good. Lord, we could never thank you enough. Father, I thank you for your word and how it even challenges us. Lord, I thank you for the ways I've been challenged even this week in my own parenting and the way that I lead my own family. Lord, would you help us each to be committed to your word, to living in a way as men, women, that we honor Christ Jesus. Father, I pray for anybody in here this morning who may be apart from Christ, who doesn't know the saving grace of Jesus. Lord, would you do the work that only you can of opening their hearts to receive the truth of the gospel, to seeing Christ in all of his glory, that they would be transformed. And Lord, to the men and the women in here, to the Christians under the sound of my voice right now that profess faith in Christ, that love you, that know you, would we go forward from this place committed to honoring you in the world that you've created? And would that begin in our homes, in our marriages, in the way that we love each other, in the way we raise our children? And would it all be for your glory and for our good? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.